Hi, my good friends. Welcome to my podcast, Proclaiming Freedom. My name is Sadie Anderson. I'm so glad you're here. It's another great day to give glory to God, so that's what we're going to do. If you want to find more episodes or other resources on the topics I discuss, head over to my website, proclaiming-freedom.com. Okay, let's jump into it. Another podcast, Proclaiming Freedom. Today, I wanted to bring Steve onto the podcast, and he's going to be sharing some of his testimony and also revelation that the Lord has given him on worship and how the church can come closer to what God has in mind with worship and how we as individuals can put ourselves in the in the presence and in the mindset to really interact with God in worship in the way that he has instructed us to do so and that he desires to meet us in. So Steve, if you want to go ahead, you can introduce yourself a little bit and then jump in with definitions of worship and go from there. Hi, Sadie. Nice to be with you today. And um, Somewhere way back in my past, I had some radio experience, but sitting in front of a microphone again is scary for some weird reason, maybe because it's just been so long. But um, good to be with all of you who might be listening today, and just a little history about me. Um, I grew up in the church from from birth, basically, and um, had musical kind of aspirations for for a while, went to college for a couple of years, uh, heading toward a music degree, vocal emphasis kind of thing. Um, was in and out of ministry for many years, um, some part-time and some full-time, and as a music guy slash music pastor. And then also my wife and I, when we were Fairly early in marriage, we spent two years in Eastern Europe, um, in Croatia and Slovenia, in a team of 13 people um, that was a musical team, and we traveled and had um, services, primarily concert-type stuff with testimony in uh, the Catholic Church uh, in that area, and that was in the mid-'80s, but... One, one conclusion that I have come to as far as worship and understanding of worship and in-church-related uh, avenues is that worship is assumed. And by that, I mean one of the very least talked about actions in today's church is this whole idea of worship. And one thing that I've realized over the years is that if you had a church of 100 people, for instance, and you gave that church of 100 people a questionnaire asking them to write their definition of worship, I believe wholeheartedly that you would have 100 different definitions of worship. <clears throat> and that doesn't necessarily 
um, mean that that's bad, but I think what it tells me is that there's very little preaching, teaching, instruction around worship. And because of this, no one is really um, all that interested in worship. It, it is often relegated to this time of music, time of songs, very little meaning or power or potency. Um, and it's often relegated to a placeholder in church services. Um, because after all, aren't we just singing songs about God? And isn't the important piece of why we gather for someone to tell us something about God? Um, so what is this whole worship thing even about? And why is it important? And so that's some of my thoughts around just the general uh, thinking or ideas about worship in today's church. So going further back into some of my um, just spiritual Holy Spirit experiences and background, um, I was involved in, or we, my family, were involved in um, this church organization called First Assembly of God, a Pentecostal type church, and um, they had a sort of a Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts equivalent, and we called it Royal Rangers and Missionettes, as weird as that might sound. Um, <clears throat> so Royal Rangers was not unlike Boy Scouts, but with more of a spiritual bent, and I suppose just like Boy Scouts, as a young guy, you could... Um, you could earn patches that you could sew on your cute little uniform, and they were of some kind of significance. And so I was in the process of doing that and enjoying myself until I decided to tackle one really difficult patch, and that was to read the Bible through. So for an 11, 12-year-old, that was a bit of a task. So I'm pretty excited because finally I'm in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, and I'm a couple, few chapters in, and um, I'm almost finished with this thing. I can get this patch on my uniform. And lo and behold, I'm reading about future throne room experience. And I'm realizing that I'm scared to be thinking what I'm even thinking. And basically what I'm thinking is, is we are supposed to be really excited about spending an eternity with God. And here I am viewing this future throne room experience, realizing that I don't get it. You've got elders bowing down and you've got other groups of people chanting and praising and worshiping and you have people bowing and standing and lifting hands. And I'm thinking okay, God, this might be kind of interesting or fun for 30 minutes or 60 minutes, but I'm going to spend an eternity doing this, and it's going to be unbelievably fulfilling to me and something that I really want to do, and it's like, I don't even get it. Um, why do I want this heaven experience? Why do I want this if this is really what it's all about? I just don't get it. So I just remember there being a lot of fear and non-understanding around this thing called Christianity and this ultimate 
um, eternity kind of thing that we will spend doing. So that's somewhere in the back of my head as I'm growing up. And um, so fast forward into um, musical Steve at, you know, high school and in college age and beyond. And oftentimes I find myself in on the platform of a church singing a song and that's just kind of who I was and what I did had no problem at all doing that but because I was musical um, I was often asked to lead worship in certain settings and I found that very scary and um, a responsibility that I felt like I didn't really deserve or or want so I often found myself making all kinds of excuses of why I shouldn't do that or why I can't do that or why my schedule won't allow that. So I found myself running from worship-leading experiences. Um, a, a large portion of my earlier life, though the opportunity was there, and then I get married and find myself in this Eastern Europe team. It's a musical team, 13 of us, and we're in Catholic church settings and of course we're singing in English and Eastern Europeans are really enamored with this group of Americans. They just don't get to see much of that kind of stuff. This is in the mid eighties and we're primarily in the countries of, at that time it was the conglomerate of what was then Yugoslavia, seven countries, but we were primarily in Croatia and Slovenia. And so to also help us connect with the people language-wise, we decided we would translate a couple of our really simple worship songs um, into the Croatian language. And so somewhere during our concert, during the evening, it would just be me and a guitar, and I would be leading people and invite them to sing along with us in these simple worship songs in their language. So... I didn't think a whole lot of it um, until it became apparent to me that every night we would be spending the night, my wife and I, in some host family's homes that, ha that were a part of this church. They had volunteered to put us up for the night. And so here we are now sitting around generally their dinner table after the service and they're saying, oh, you guys are so good, and this was so fun, and it was so nice, but that thing you did from the guitar and you were singing in our language, what was that? It was so impactful to me, to us. Um, we've never experienced anything like that before. Describe more about that. And so here I am describing worship to this Catholic family and it didn't yet dawn on me till years later why perhaps this thing that they'd never experienced before was so impactful to them because it wasn't really all that impactful to me at that time in my life so fast forward again to um, my wife and I are home from Europe we are I'm part-time worship pastor slash music guy um, at a church called Timberline. Not sure if it was even, that was a church name that we went underwent. 
Not sure if it was even that new name yet, but here I am leading worship, not feeling all that comfortable with it at times, but yet God is beginning to really start to mess with my heart and my head in and around worship. I can't verbalize much of that, but I'm starting to really grab a hold of just how important this is becoming in me personally and this really cool connection that I have with God. Often while I'm in worship or leading worship and in and around worship, And I find myself one Sunday evening leading worship and suddenly I'm in a spot where I've never been more fulfilled and I I could imagine myself never leaving this spot and it would be absolutely euphoric. I don't need any possessions that I own. I don't need to say goodbye to any friends or family. It's I'm so caught up in the presence of God, that um, just something I'd really never experienced before. And also not even still realizing at the time that my 12-year-old self had suddenly been answered that fearful question of how in the world could I want to spend more than 60 minutes of an eternity in the throne room presence of the creator of the universe, I just don't get it. Suddenly now I get it. And it took me some time even after that to realize that my 12-year-old questions and fears had had really literally been answered. So pretty cool time frame in my life. But also realizing that this was a very personal thing for me a very personal understanding that I can't really begin to verbalize. Um, And often found frustration in that. It's cool that your testimony so far is, I think, very common for new believers, whether they're young when they're believers or whenever they find the Lord. But you hear all these things or you're reading all these things about God that you're supposed to like or that are supposed to be really cool, and you're like, I just want to go play outside. Like, are we going to be able to do that in heaven? Because I don't want to sit in a stuffy church when it's summer and just be like, another song? Really? We're doing this? And then the spiritual part happens, an experience like that with God's presence and God's spirit, and it, it like brings the revelation to a whole new level and it's not just like the intellectual of like well I don't get it why do we why do we like that why do we want to do that for eternity and then your spirit connects with it and it's like your spirit's like no we were made for that like your mind is not going to get it but I get it and so then you get to this point you're like oh I do want to do that forever I do want to like never leave that and I don't care if we go outside or play sports or do anything like that I just think that's a really cool way that the Lord continues to meet us in the place that we're at and that it's okay if you don't get stuff at the beginning or you don't like it or want to do it then he's fine with that and just keep going along on the journey and he'll he'll meet you there and be like actually it's like this 
Absolutely. I, I completely agree because I think if I could point back to one constant that I feel from God to me is patience. Because I think I've been a frustrating person that he's created in the sense that, um, man, I'm, I'm full of selfishness, I'm obstinate, I'm, uh, uh, can't think of the word I'm looking for, but I'm just a bundle of stuff that has taken me a long time uh, to, to really begin to understand and to really grasp and to really then start longing for um, that relationship and that worship intimacy that he calls all of us to and has created all of us for, it's taken me a very long time to to really comprehend that. And the constant is his patience in that for me. And wow, am I ever thankful for that because I'm a slow learner many times. So... <clears throat> personal experience again you can fast forward yet again into a new church plant that I had no intention of being a part of but suddenly I was and maybe as a preference um, or sorry a preface to this I should say that um, this new pastor of this church plant that had yet to start I found him in my shop several times and a little frustrating how much he was pushing me toward this, being involved with this church plant and being the worship guy in this church plant. And I've, at one point out of frustration, asked him one day, so if you could, if you could explain to me how worship might look in this church, uh, do that. And he said, well, I suppose I could, but I wouldn't because I would trust God in you to not only lead this church in worship, but to lead me or him in worship. And I about fell off my chair in my shop that day because I realized that I had never yet in my life, and I'm about 40 now, had a pastor give me that much freedom and that much responsibility at the same time as far as leading worship. So here I am in this church, leading worship. It's a church plant. We don't have a building. We find ourselves in a movie theater. So every Sunday morning, weekend kind of thing, we are setting up all of our gear in multiple theaters for kids and um, and for the main service and so on. And, and so... I find myself <clears throat> setting up for worship, and this was something that was not at all unfamiliar to me. Um, I'd had a rough week. There was plenty of guilt and shame going on inside my emotion and my heart, and I'm thinking to myself and also kind of in front of God, this is the last place I should be. Um, setting up for a service being on a platform in front of a bunch of folks trying to encourage them in worship. God, why do you have me here even? Um, just these tumultuous feelings of 
shame and guilt, and I shouldn't be the one on the platform. Um, and to help you understand maybe why those feelings, um, I often term it as my God perspective. We all have some kind of God perspective that we have, that has sort of shaped us in our God perspective as we've grown up, whether it's in the church or outside the church. But my particular God perspective was a fairly tough one in the sense that I usually pictured God disappointed in me, discouraged by me, um, often standing there maybe with a brick in his hand waiting for waiting to bang me over the head when I was often doing things I shouldn't be doing. So sort of that God perspective of, of a God that was never pleased with who I was and what I was doing. Even though here I am in the middle of ministry, but this is my God perspective. It came from my family. It came from my church experience. came from a conglomerate of what shaped that and so we were probably a year into this church plant, and um, here I am on a Sunday morning setting up with these feelings. I launch into worship, and suddenly I'm no longer leading worship. And the only way that I can describe this, going to sound a little fantastic, I suppose, is that suddenly I was whisked away into a vision-like state and I'm not in front of a group of people. I don't have a guitar in my hand. I'm not singing a song, but I'm running away from God in my sin, and he is chasing me relentlessly. And suddenly, that vision's gone. I have a guitar in my hand again, and I'm singing a song, and I'm thinking, wow, what just happened here? And did anybody else in the room even realize that something just happened to me? Nobody, everybody seemed oblivious to it. So I just continued singing my song and leading worship and walked away from that time frame just wondering, God, what was that? What did that mean? I had no idea at that point. All I knew is I was guilty. I had shame. I was living in sin and God's chasing me relentlessly. That's relentlessly. That's all that I knew. That happened to me a total of three times within a few month period. And the last time that that happened, similar scenario again, rough week, setting up, wondering, God, why do you have me in this position? Sometimes I just don't want to be here. I don't feel worthy to be here. And here I am in the middle of this vision again, leading worship. And it is so real to me. It's just bizarre. And I'm so tired of this state of being shameful and guilt-ridden that I just think, I'm done running. I have no idea what the outcome is going to be if I stop running because God is chasing me. And again, this God perspective that I have is this isn't a happy God chasing me, but I just said, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, uh, and I stopped running. And again, this is part of my vision. 
whatever you want to call it, and God catches up to me, he sits down, he sticks me in his lap, he turns my face into his face and his eyes, and he says to me, Steve, this guilt and this shame that you are feeling and experiencing is not coming from me. And you are not... Sorry, this, this is still emotional for me some 20 years later to this day. But he said, you're not leaving this place until you have even a glimpse of how much I love you and how proud I am of you. I created you. You are perfect. And I experienced a love of God that day that I've only ever read about but didn't fully believe. I'd heard it in sermons. I'd read it in scripture. But it wasn't real to me um, until that day. And that day, my God perspective entirely changed. Um, I was a child of God who was loved and who was valued. And it changed everything about who I am and how I view God. And it gave me a longing from the intimacy of this thing we call worship for everyone to experience whatever it is that God wants to mess with them in. With me, it was this weird God perspective of, of feeling that he was disappointed in me and discontent with me and always... Um, you know, at times wanting to correct me with a brick uh, instead of correcting me in love and just longing for all of us to experience God in ways that he longs to mess with us and correct us. Whether that's this love perspective, I'm just convinced that all of us have weird and wrong God perspectives that he longs to correct as we spend time with him and are intimate with him and in his presence. So that would take me right to Hebrews chapter 10, a few verses starting with 19. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus has opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. We'll talk about that in a minute. Into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. Let me read that line again. Because we have this great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. 
So God was really messing with me in this thing called worship. So now I guess we can fast forward a few more years into this church plant. And being a church plant, it took us a while to fully get all of our ducks in a row, so to speak. took us that six years to actually have a board of elders in place, which is typical in any church. And the very first order of business of that board of elders was to finally or actually put on paper who are we as a church, etc. So here we are at an all-church leadership meeting. They have all of this hashed through. They have it all on paper. They hand out all the paper. We're sitting there. They're walking us through these things. I'm skimming all of their bullet points and realizing that in everything they're presenting to us, there is not one specific thing about worship. And giving my life to this church plant for the last six years, my heart sinks to my feet. And I think, wow, have I been that bad, that poor at communicating worship, the importance of it, the meaning of it. Um, Man, I've been leading worship here. I'm the worship pastor here for the last six years. Um, is no one understanding what's going on in my heart, this passion, this drive, this importance of worship. So in the middle of this meeting, we have a break, and I approach our pastor, and I'll keep him nameless just for protection to him. He's still a dear friend of mine. And I said to him those thoughts. I said, man, I'm really concerned there's not one thing in all of these outlines about worship. And I'm not sure what to do with that, but I have real concerns about that. And he said to me, Steve, remember it's all about worship. And so I have to sort of pause here and give you a definition of what he's even talking about. Some of you who are church people may remember a certain era in the 2000s, I would say, the early 2000s. Churches tend to go through fads and thought process fads, I guess I could call them, where we all latch on to similar words or phrases or meanings that have some meaningfulness in the church, some good, some not so good. One of those fads in that time frame was a phrase or a caption um, where we would talk about a lifestyle of worship, quote unquote. So he said to me, well, remember, Steve, it's all about worship. Everything's about worship. And so I asked him, still in this meeting, okay, but there's no starting point of worship. And he didn't know what I meant, but he knew it was heavy on my heart. And so he said, all right, well, let's meet for lunch tomorrow. I know this, uh, you know, you're really concerned about this, so therefore we need to figure out, I need to even understand what you're talking about. So I went home that night still struggling 
with verbalizing everything that I had experienced with God in and around worship, the passion that I had developed for worship, the longing that I had for people to experience intimate worship and life change with God, and and still realizing that I don't have the gift of speaking and teaching and and. I'm still struggling with how in the world to even verbalize this. So I walk into next day's lunch meeting with my pastor, not having a clue of what I'm going to say, how I'm going to convince him that this is important. Um, And so just in prayer, wondering, saying, God, help me, please. I have no idea what I'm going to tell him today. So, in true form to this idea or fad of lifestyle of worship kind of thoughts and concepts, we're sitting there eating lunch, and my pastor says to me, all right, Steve, so we're sitting here eating lunch, and I'm trying to worship God. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, This is the kind of stuff we'd talked about as a church and that he preached about from, um, from a pulpit on a Sunday morning. And then he said, and... Earlier today, I was working on my sermon, and while I worked on my sermon, I was trying to worship God. And yesterday, I was counseling one of our church folks, and while I was counseling them, I was trying to worship God. And suddenly, I felt the Holy Spirit just drop into my mind the Old Testament temple example and the layout of that temple. And I have no clue why he dropped that into my heart, but I just started talking about it. This this was not coming from me. And so I said to my pastor, all right, think about the Old Testament temple example that we have and the layout of the outer courts, the inner courts, the Holy of Holies, Uh, would you be willing to do kind of this mind video or picture uh, with me as we kind of walk through those layouts? And he said, yeah, sure. So I said, okay, so the Old Testament temple layout, outer courts first, and that's where the basic Israelite of that time frame would take their animal sacrifice and they would hand that animal to a priest. And that priest would go into the inner courts where um, my understanding is most of the Israelites were not allowed to go. They, were, they could only stay in those outer courts. And that was their worship experience at the time frame. So we're, we're kind of walking through this whole layout. So we're in the outer courts. You see that entrance to the inner court, so let's walk through that entrance. Now we're in that inner court area where the priests do their daily duties of sacrificing animals, so on. So I asked my pastor, are you still with me in this goofy little mind video? And he said, yeah, I'm with you. So I said, all right, let's walk through completely through this inner court area of the temple. And so... Now we're approaching the Holy of Holies and the barrier on that 
threshold to the Holy of Holies is this, as Scripture describes it, this two-inch thick curtain, which is hard for me to even wrap my mind around, that is sectioning off the inner courts from the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is such a place and such a kind of a severe occasion to every ever enter that place because in it is the Ark of the Covenant where Scripture talks about the very presence of God residing in that Ark. And only the high priest had access to the Holy of Holies. And scripturally talks about he only enters that place once a year and such a severe occasion to enter that that in the event there could be sin in his life, there's a rope tied around his waist or his leg. And if there was sin in his life, he would immediately, in the presence of God, be struck dead uh, they had to have a way of removing him safely without entering themselves. So here we are in in Old Testament fashion, standing at that great curtain that's now been at Christ's death on the cross, completely ripped in two. And God is actually, literally, physically, spiritually inviting us into his presence. But we're standing at this threshold to the Holy of Holies. And I asked my pastor, I said, you ready to walk with me across this threshold through this ripped curtain into the Holy of Holies? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, let's do just that. So we've walked into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of the creator of the universe, and I asked my pastor, can you eat your lunch? Can you work on your sermon? Can you counsel a church member? I said to him, the only thing I can imagine doing, because again, I'm in the very presence of the creator of this universe, is falling flat on my face and every fiber of my being is being directed toward this God who not only loves me, but is inviting me into his presence, even in my sin. I said, in my mind, perhaps this could be the starting point of worship. And perhaps out of this might grow a lifestyle of worship. This interesting phrase that the church at that era of time had coined. And it was so cool for me personally because it was like a light bulb turned on in the face and in the countenance of my pastor. And he said, oh my goodness, Steve. Now I understand what you're talking about. It's, he said, I just, how could I, how could I have been, you know, pastoring a church and in church also all of his life and not have some sort of an understanding of what 
the coolness factor, the importance factor, this unbelievable opportunity that God, the creator of the universe, is inviting all of us to, this intimacy of worship. How could I not understand just the unbelievable nature of what this is, what this means, what this might look like? So, try to keep this quick, but he said, so you realize the next thing we have to do is meet with the board. We've got to rewrite the script on who we are as a church. And I'll just fast forward and say that was one of the coolest times in my church ministry life experience, meeting with that board, walking them through some scriptures, talking about what we're talking about today. There wasn't a dry eye in that room. And there was some real understanding or some maybe beginning of understanding of worship. And it started the undoing of this assumption that I feel like most churches have in and around worship, where suddenly worship is this unbelievable mystery that God is allowing all of us opportunity in and around that we're not really taking advantage of. Then we go on further, and I teach a series on worship. It was one of the coolest times, at least in my perspective, in the life of that church. Um, And it really began a whole new hunger and passion and craving in and around a true potential of a lifestyle of worship in our church. Lots of neat conversations about what God was doing with people personally in their relationships with God in and around worship. I think an interesting thing with the different fads that churches go through and experience or latch on to is that all of them are just watered down and there's no sacrifice involved for the individual churchgoer. It's just like, how about everything's worship? Then we don't have to think about and talk about it because you're just always doing it. See, I see it. And then there's also a fad of like everything is missions that I've read about and heard about. And it's like, oh, so that there's no sacrifice on my part because I'm just always doing it all the time. And yet, if you ask me, I couldn't define it, and I couldn't give a specific example of doing that thing or the experience I had. So it, I think it's just like, it's a way that the church tries to make it palatable for everyone to try and like get people in, but I think the enemy just uses it as like, it's just watered down. It's not anything special. It's just everything. Well, and you, the old saying that if everything is worship, then also sort of nothing is worship, or worship then equals nothing. And if everything is missions, then nothing. It's, yeah, it it waters it down to almost a state of meaninglessness or no importance whatsoever. And... I would just again like to read Hebrews 10 because 
because I think it's something that as believers we we often don't realize this longing. God isn't just asking us for a longing to be intimate with him in worship. He is longing for us to spend time with him. He's longing for us to to begin to understand who he is and to begin to understand his heart and to begin to understand his love for us and his forgiveness and his grace that is just so far beyond our natural understanding anyway. And so again, I, I just want to remind us of Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read it again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain that we talked about into the most holy place or the holy of holies. And since we have a great high priest, Christ, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences, that sin, that shame, has been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so I would like to ask us a question. Let me set a premise. Could we all even sort of agree on this premise without great lifetime study? If we were to ask ourselves the question, what does Scripture say we were created for, which I realize is a huge question, could we boil it down to two simple things? One, we were created for relationship with God. Two, for worship of God. And if you could even sort of, at least for the sake of example, accept that premise, if so relationship and worship, then why do we spend so little time focusing on being intentional about asking questions of teaching about this thing called worship? I believe that God's created each of us with an eternal longing and desire to be with him and to worship him. What more intimate way of being with God or encountering God, understanding his heart for us and his love for us, than worshiping him. And since scripture doesn't really give us, uh, therefore this is worship or a really specific definition of worship, I've come up with, and I realize this could offend some folks, but Just a definition of worship, not the definition, but just a possible definition of worship. And I think it requires three things. It requires the physical or this natural realm that we live in. It requires the spiritual and it requires a motive. So here's my simple definition. Making a conscious decision to spiritually enter his presence with the intention or motive of worshiping him. 
I also think that this can virtually take on any form. It doesn't even have to center at all around music. It Music is just simply a gift that God has given us. So one of my greatest fears as a worship dude, a guy that's passionate about worship, a guy that longs for everyone to connect with God in worship, is that we remain in the outer courts, so to speak, viewing God from a great distance, saying things like, yeah, I I've heard that God is powerful and that he's loving and that he has grace and forgiveness that he wants to offer us. I've read that. He's loving, forgiving. Um, But if we're only willing to read about it and if we're only willing to stand at some great distance viewing God thinking, yeah, maybe. Um, But all the while, God is just asking us to have enough faith to step beyond the outer courts, across that threshold to the Holy of Holies, and again, I'm speaking metaphorically, and to literally, physically, spiritually encounter Him and allow life change to happen because of encountering him, spending time with him. That's that's my biggest longing and also in that my greatest fear that we will just continue uh, viewing God from some great chasm or distance. So I would long that we teach about, ask questions of, experiment with this thing we call worship. It's so the, I'm not sure what translation that you are reading the verse out of, but when it says, let us go right into the presence of God, there's so many things that we add in after let's go right into the presence of God, but first I need to fix this thing, but first I need to whatever it is and sometimes even teachers or these societal perspectives that we can have in the church can also like feed into that like yeah. you can't go there yet cuz you don't you haven't been baptized yet you're so new like you wouldn't know what to do there's like all these things that can be the roadblocks to you just going right into the presence of God as he is calling you there and welcoming you there. And I think that's that's those weird God perspectives that all of us have that come from so many different places in our life experiences and our church and our even our God experiences. Um, but scripture, that scripture tells me anyway personally that God isn't waiting for us to do this and be that and accomplish whatever. He's pursuing us in our sin because all of us have sin. And we never escape sin other than 
being covered with his blood because of his sacrifice and his death on the cross. It's only because of that that us in our sin can enter his presence and experience and encounter God. And that's what I feel like was such a revelation to me in my worship vision experience was that was me. I was running away from God in my sin, feeling not worthy to enter his presence, not worthy to worship him. And of course, this was just personal experience, but I do think it lines up with scripture as far as God's view of us. I think often we we need to scripturally correctly be reminded of how God views us. And we as people and as churches and as denominations and doctrines tend to want to put all these rules around how we can encounter God. And you can't encounter God because you're not this and you haven't done that. But that's not his perspective of us. That's what so charges me about. Yeah, I think that's often why we are content to sit and view God in the outer courts from a great distance because we don't feel worthy. And he's saying, because of my son, because of his sacrifice, you are worthy. I look at you through him. And he created us in the first place, every one of us. Um, And he is pleased with his creation. He's not displeased. And he longs to be with us. It's just, at this stage of my life, it's, it's become so, like, apparent and simplistic even that there is no complexity in approaching God. Um, it's so stinking easy, but we put all these parameters around it that keep us from experiencing him, and it isn't him that's keeping us from experiencing him. It's us. It's our weird God perspectives that think, man, I don't deserve that. Oh, I long for that to be blown away and broken away and ripped away. Yeah, me too. And also this, like, the the way that church is set up in America, it's like, only the certain special people get to go up on the stage and they're the ones that really know God. And then we've given them the authority to decide how I can experience God and when I can. And based on how old I am or how long I've known God or like what all these different things, when we have the example of Acts 2 and the... Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming upon the first church, the group of people waiting for whatever's going to happen next, and it turns into a huge thousands of people get saved because they hear them speaking and praising God in their native language, and they know that's they're not from where they're from. They, they see the way that they're acting and the way the Spirit's on them, and these are like 
unbelievers or baby believers now. And that wasn't too much for them. And so I feel like we say, I I know how much of God that you can handle and when you can handle it. And instead of saying, I want you to come in here and however God meets you is the perfect thing for you right now. Whether you've been going to church for decades or you just walked in on a quote-unquote whim. And maybe, too, that's why Scripture gives us the example with the disciples and a bunch of crowd of folks and Jesus, and suddenly all these kids are messing with Jesus, and the disciples are saying, hey, hey, you guys need to get out of here, and Jesus is rebuking them, saying, nope, nope, let these children come to me. And I think that's a great example, again, of there is no thing that we can put on that allows us acceptance of God himself or Christ himself other than Christ and his blood and his sacrifice. That's the only thing we can put on. Um, There is no other qualifier that allows us to to directly enter God's presence. But other than all of this, these crazy qualifiers that we ourselves put on each other, um, so we are, we are our own worst enemies, I think, when it comes to meeting with God, to it, when it comes to experiencing God. And I suppose a lot of that comes straight from Satan, saying, oh, no, you really shouldn't because, you know you did this last week or you know you had those thoughts or there's always things that we end up messing with ourselves on that God is not looking at. Can you talk a little bit about ways that you've seen maybe new believers or people who haven't experienced intimate worship yet, the reactions that they can have when they do experience worship in a setting that is intimate and presence-filled? Sure. Um, Yeah, and that, I think that's a, a thing worth talking about because many times from pastors in the past, um, I have been, uh, cautioned, I suppose, that, you know, maybe in certain settings we shouldn't um, potentially launch into intimate worship because we might have either skeptics, non-believers, or new believers involved. And, of course, they wouldn't, they might be, you know, who knows what that conjures up in them. But I I truly believe that worship, um, that God has designed worship to arrest us, maybe I could, say as a word that it likely will provoke one of two responses one is either fear and oh my goodness what in the world is this because I've never seen this or experienced it before and it might provoke flight Um, or it could also really draw a person into similar questions. What in the world is this? I've never experienced this. There's power in this. 
And I think either one of those responses is fine and ultimately good because even the first person that might have run away from it cannot get that question out of his heart and mind of what was this? Was this real? I've, you know, I've never experienced it before. And and the reason that I even feel okay talking about it in those terms is, is I've had numerous conversations with people in both of those categories. And in the first category of fear and flight and complete non-understanding, they couldn't let that question go. And it haunted them for weeks, months, sometimes even years. But it also is what ultimately drew them to God. And so I think there is so power, so much power in intimate worship. Because in a sense, um, I think people are somehow seeing through us as worshipers this a picture even maybe of the very presence of God so they're experiencing some of God through our worship and they can't not do something with that whether it's run and ask questions or whether it's being drawn into him and so I just I smile when people often Christians Sometimes church leadership says, ooh, you know, maybe this is a setting where we should just sing some songs and not really. And I just kind of smile and say, how about we just worship God and let let him be in charge of how people respond because he knows better than us anyway. I don't think we need to pretend to be the Holy Spirit in these situations. So I chuckle at that a little bit because... I just feel like worship is what God has designed in all of us, the longing for connection with him. And it's in non-believers, it's in skeptics, it's in new believers, it's in long-time believers, it's in all of us. It's how he created us. Those are my thoughts, those are my opinions. Um, But I do think that kind of stuff is worth talking about and wrestling with and asking questions of but I just think often as Christians, we are great in pretending to be the Holy Spirit ourselves um, and, and knowing somehow, quote unquote, how we ought to present God to this group of people when, oh boy, I think if we just step out of the way and allow God to present himself, that's a much safer approach. Yeah, I agree. I think also people can get a little bit distracted with their preferences somehow now being a biblical conviction and like I prefer worship in this way so that must be the best way that everyone will prefer worship when the Lord is so much more than we will be able to wrap our little minds around and your preference is great and it's cool and also the Lord is probably going to show you a way you also like that's very different from that. And he can show everyone around you who he is in a way that is personal for them, whether you can see it visually or not. I agree. I agree. I think often the church gets bogged down because 
we generally put music in some fashion in this arena of worship, and then we start confusing worship equals music or music equals worship, when in reality, music is a beautiful avenue and a gift that God's given us that we can certainly use in worship. But let's get real here. Just read Revelation and look at the people groups that are around the throne room, and they are all expressing worship in different ways in that throne room experience. Some of them are expressing worship in music. Others are expressing worship in chanting. Others are expressing worship in body positioning. And back to a personal thing, some of my coolest times in worship have been me on a motorcycle in the middle of the mountain somewhere experiencing God's handiwork and his creation and being overwhelmed by who he is in so many avenues that my heart explodes in worship and there is no music There's just the sound of a motorcycle going on and being in the middle of something that God created. I think worship can happen in a million different ways. And once I was, um, for a period of time, we had an artist in um, the church plant that I referenced. And, And I remember he really, in a simple conversation we had once, opened my mind and pulled me out of this music is worship kind of trap that we get ourselves in, especially as musicians. Um, And that is, he said to me something like, Steve, remember God gave us five senses to experience things that can be fantastic or terrible. Uh, But you know, those five senses, when you think about a worship experience and we're doing music, only two of those five senses are being used. He said, I'm an artist. I'm not musical at all. He said, how about the other three senses? Smell, touch, taste. He said, I often worship God in those senses. And he was also a potter a guy that sat at a spinning pottery wheel and created something out of nothing. It has nothing to do with music. And it really challenged me as a musician to realize that God has created us all differently. Some of us musical. Many of us enjoy music, even if we're not musicians. But we often lock ourselves into this worship equals music kind of scenario that... It's kind of a bummer that for the other folks that are many among us are not musical, but yet could experience God in other sensory ways in worship. And the church at large is not experimenting in those ways. Let's talk about this. Let's rebuke each other around this. Let's experiment with this. Let's realize that worship can happen in a million different ways. So as we're coming to an end of 
your testimony and revelation and just the way that it's consumed your life and your motivation. I just wanted to ask you to pray over everyone who's listening who maybe parts of your story has touched their heart or they've they've connected with and maybe they haven't had some of the experiences that that we have had with the Holy Spirit in our walks of life. So if you'd just like to pray over that, that would be awesome. Sure. Happy to, Sadie. God, we just come before you, and I thank you for the opportunity uh, that you've given us to encounter you in this avenue that you call, we call, worship. And God, I just pray for all of us that might be assuming worship, that have never really talked about it, never really wondered about it, never really asked questions of it, never really experimented with it, never really given it that much importance, that somehow you would just stop us in our tracks today and if nothing else, cause us to wonder what it would be like, what it might be like if, again, I use that temple, that old temple example of what if I actually moved from the outer courts viewing God from some great distance, never really having encountered God, never really having had life change, what if I actually walked directly into his presence? What if I actually encountered him in all of his glory? As Moses did even in a piece of his glory from the backside of God, what if I just encountered that part of God? What might it do? God, I just pray that you would give us some sort of appetite today to pursue you further. I know you're longing for every one of us to encounter you, to spend time with you, to come to a better understanding of you and your heart for us. And I just ask that these weird, strange God perspectives that all of us are carrying around would begin falling away and that we would begin to understand your heart, your love, your pursuit of us. It's not us pursuing you. It's you pursuing us and us finally being willing to stop and say, okay, God, I guess I'm going to explore you. And I just ask for you to put that appetite in our hearts today. And I just, man, I ask for for real, true life change and God perspective change and breakthrough and revelation in um, often skewed ways of how we come to view you. God, just do some miracle, some miracles, some revelation in us today, tomorrow, in the weeks and the months and even the years to come. God, we give this time, we give just this experience today to you, and and we ask for some miraculous results. Amen.
Thank you.